us hear then the word of our God, Romans 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, we come here, obviously, to what are called a, uh, a vice list. And the Bible has several of them, of course, and Paul has various vice lists in his letters. Um, and, uh, you know, we have vice lists today, too. Uh, if you're to go to a, a lawyer's office, he's going to have books on his shelf with various vices, various uh, crimes and such that... Uh, uh, he can look at those, know what to do, and so forth. Obviously, law schools have whole libraries of things like this. Uh, the police have vice lists, and uh, they, they are taught as to what are crimes and what are not, and so on and so forth. Well, for Paul, this vice list is not being used to say, hey, you need to avoid these things. And if you commit these things, here are the punishments. Okay? Uh, and that's, that's not his focus. His focus here is different. And as we have seen, uh, Paul has laid up for us the reasons why we sin and why we suffer. All people, not just the Gentile, not just the unbeliever, but all of us suppress the truth about God. All of us have established idols in our lives. All of us try to live our lives without God in some way or another. Some people do it more so, maybe others less so, but we all do it. And so God punishes us accordingly. He punishes us with futile thinking. And as we emphasized last time in verse 28, God gives us minds that do not work correctly. And that then leads to sinful behaviors. All these unrighteous actions deserve judgment. But our sinful actions are judgment as well. And that's Paul's focus here. It's not simply if you commit these sins, this is what's going to happen. But if you commit these sins, that's an indication that your relationship with God is not in a good place. And so all of our sufferings, all of our pains, all of our sins our result ultimately of our relationship with God and that it's not as it should be. And so the sufferings and pain that we receive in this life and in the next ultimately are based, really you might say, on the first commandment and our relationship with him. Now last time you also may recall that I briefly reviewed the three different categories of sins that Paul gives us. And he gives us a list of 21 sins, or the New King James has 23, in verses 29 to 31. And Paul is intending to impress on us 
how a bad relationship with God leads to bad relationships with other people. Now, each one of these vices we can uh, greatly elaborate upon and talk about and apply and so on and so forth. And I'll do some of that here today and next week. But Paul here is not trying to give us an exhaustive list of the sins that we commit as we hate our neighbor. But he's giving us, if you will, an impression. He gives us a variety of things, some general, some specific. And he's not trying to be exhaustive, but he's trying to simply say, look, if you're not going to have a mind following after God's thoughts, if you're going to set up idols in your lives, then your relationships with other people are not going to be good. And so the point simply is, if you are not having a good relationship with someone else, that's an indication that your relationship with God is not good. Well, let's look now specifically. As for these three groupings, okay, we have, first of all, being filled, or having been filled here in verse 29. And we have four or five sins, depending on your translation. And then we have full of, with five sins. And then we have 12 sins that we are. And so we'll look at the first two of these today and the 12, uh, Lord willing, next time. Now notice here then that Paul begins with this word being filled. Or the Greek's a bit more specific here. Uh, We would translate it having been filled. And he starts here with unrighteousness. So let's talk first about this, this verb. There's something that happened in the past that filled us up with these sins. We were, if you will, empty in regard to these sins, but something happened to fill us up. Now, just here in this context, if we go back to verse 18, Paul says there at the end of the verse, who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. When we suppress the truth about God, it fills us up with unrighteous behavior. And so right here in this context, we can see what Paul has in mind. But I think Paul also has a broader point in mind, and that is he wants us to go back to Genesis chapter 3. This I haven't counted, but it's maybe a handful of times now in our look at beginning of verse 18. I've taken us back to Genesis 3, and here's another uh, way that we can do this. We have been filled with unrighteousness ultimately when Adam and Eve sinned. When they ate of the tree and they were filled with shame and they hid from God and they didn't relate well to each other and so on and so forth, that wasn't just a sin that affected them. As Paul will teach us in Romans 5, that's a sin that affects all of us. We are all guilty because of Adam's sin, but we're also now filled with sin. We are corrupted. We have been filled up with all kinds of unrighteous things because of what Adam did in the beginning. We call this original sin. We're born this way. And so let's turn a moment to Psalm 51. Now, a few times now I've had us sing this psalm. We did here again today um, since we started in verse 18. And uh, you recall this is a psalm of David written after his sin with Bathsheba and as he confesses his sin. Notice especially verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
Now, David is not saying that the act of procreation is sinful. You cannot take the verse in that way. Right? It would totally violate Genesis 1 and, and so forth. What David is saying is, I was brought forth. In other words, the moment I was born, I was a sinner. I was filled with unrighteousness. And then the second line is even more so. In sin, my mother conceived me. At the moment of conception, I'm filled with sin because of what Adam did. And so our connection here, I think, for Paul is ultimately this. All of us are unrighteous because of our union with Adam. And so even the newest covert that will be born here within a few weeks or whatever is already filled with unrighteousness. She will not have to be taught how to sin. We already know that when we're born. And so because of this, wrath comes upon every one of us daily with health issues or other hardships, other things that may be out of our control. But at some point, of course, we start consciously sinning and replacing God with idols and wanting man knowledge rather than God knowledge and replacing truth with lies. And so therefore, more wrath comes upon us daily and more unrighteous behaviors then happen as well. I've uh, made mention of this before, um, but when Nathaniel was three, three and a half months old, um, Nalene and I will never forget, that was the first time that we saw very clearly <laughs> that he was filled with unrighteousness. <laughs> we told him to do something. He said, nope, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and we didn't have to teach him that. And none of us have to be taught those things. We are filled with unrighteousness from the beginning. And then each day we sin. And one of the things that Paul is trying to impress upon us in this section is he wants us to see how sinful we are. This is not a topic we really like to talk about. We'd rather think that we're better than we are, but Paul's saying, no, you're not. We are filled with unrighteousness. And so here's the first idea. His... Um, First word he gives us then is, as I've been saying, unrighteousness. And notice being filled with all unrighteousness. This adjective all goes with all of these words here, not just the first one. And so all unrighteousness, every way we can think about it. Now remember the word righteous has to do with the law. And so if we are righteous, we are keeping the law. If we are unrighteous, we are breaking the law in some way. We can use the terms unjust or violating justice or disregarding what is right or something to that effect. Ultimately, of course, we are breaking God's law. He has given his law to us, summarized in the Ten Commandments, and we break all of them in thought, in word, and or deed. We may not actually murder someone, but we do with our words and in our minds. But all of us have broken God's law. We are all unrighteous in this way. Children, obviously, disobey their parents. I mentioned Nathaniel a moment ago. Um, <clears throat> Emma and I have uh, been watching the Jaws movies here recently. And if you remember, in the second one, when Brody's son was being tempted by his girlfriend to go sailing, and his dad said, nope, you can't go, 
And very clearly, the girl says, well, you've disobeyed your parents before, haven't you? So let's go. This is obviously uh, a breaking of the law, unrighteousness. Societies, of course, have laws that are broken regularly. Once again, Trump was indicted for more things he supposedly broke, but of course others aren't being indicted for the same uh, breakings. Uh, Believers refuse to follow their church leaders. That too is being unrighteous. So just for example here today, I already have given you several commands that you must keep. When I say, let us stand and hear the call to worship, or let us stand and sing, or let us pray, as Stan did for us here a moment ago, if I say, let us take our Bibles and turn to Romans 1, or receive now God's blessing, those are commands. If you don't keep those commands, you're being unrighteous. And so if you are not paying attention when we're singing, if your mind is wandering during prayer, if you're falling asleep during the sermon, or whatever it is, you're being unrighteous. And so Paul is saying, we are filled with these things. Now it's not surprising that Paul would start with this term. If you look back again at verse 18, he uses it twice there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So for him to put it here first in this list makes perfect sense. It's a term you might say that encompasses all sins. And we're filled with it. And it's not just the Hitlers. It's not just the Stalins. It's not just the people on the other side of the aisle that are filled with unrighteousness. We all are. All right, now, the second term, the New King James gives us one here, and that is sexual immorality. If you have another translation, you do not have that term. Maybe you have a footnote or something like that. And this is one of those times where the manuscripts are are a little different. Some manuscripts have the term, some don't. There are arguments for and against, right? In one sense, you can understand why the term would be there, On the other hand, it is a bit more specific than the other general terms we see in this grouping. Um, I've also mentioned it at various times that they rate these differences. So A, B, C, and D. Well, this one is given a C, which means we really are not sure if Paul wrote the word or somebody added it in later. And so the manuscripts are somewhat ambiguous in this way. And so... Um, One of the reasons why this is understandable is the word for sexual morality is porneia. The word for wickedness, the next word, is uh, uh, poneria. And so you have porneia, poneria, they're very similar. You can understand why there'd be some kind of mix-up. Well, because there is so much uncertainty, I'm going to go ahead and cover both terms. Um, But if you were to pin me down, I would say somebody probably added it later, but we just can't say for sure. Um, So let's talk here a moment about sexual morality then. Um, First of all, we already have, right? Verses 24 to 27. We've already addressed some of these things. Remember the adjective all is applying to all these terms. 
And so it's not just all unrighteousnesses, but also all sexual sins. So whether we're talking about promiscuity, adultery, pornography, homosexuality, any of these things, okay, we are filled with them. Okay. Now, one thing I want to do is uh, just read another uh, passage where these words are found, and I'll read them, and uh, you listen here. This one's from uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, there's the word, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. And so Jesus is saying, it's not what we eat that defiles us, it's what comes out of the heart, right? We're filled with these things, right? So Paul is saying the same thing. Now, some have tried to say in regard to this word that um, in verses 24 to 27, Paul's addressing the individual. This one here is focusing on society in general, uh, maybe so. But whether or not Paul included this term, it is clearly the case that sexual immorality is an indication that we hate our neighbor. Remember, that's what he's addressing here. If we're going to replace God knowledge with man knowledge, the result is hatred for our neighbor, a dysfunctional society. And certainly sexual sin is such. We're not talking about consenting adults who don't hurt others. That's ridiculous. Sexual sin hurts all kinds of people. Okay? Everyone is harmed by sexual morality in some way, either directly or indirectly. Certainly it can lead to divorce. It can lead to lack of trust. It can lead to someone feeling unwanted or not good enough. They certainly can have abuse or violation or exploitation. Okay? Maybe you've at least heard about this latest movie, Sound of Freedom. It's all about exploitation of humans and especially in sexual ways. Obviously, pornography has just completely exploded with the internet and smartphones. It, it harms. It's not just a private sin. Sex may sell. It may thrill. But there are lots of bills and lots of pain and heartache that comes along with it. But like I said in verses 24 to 27, we may not have participated outwardly in this particular sin. But even if it's in the mind, in the heart, that too is sinful. And so we are filled in that sense. Well, let's look now at the next term. Wickedness. Your translation may say evil here. Notice it's another broad term. It's not uh, specific kinds of evil, but just evil. Uh, and so evil thoughts, evil deeds, evil words. Uh, let me read here now. This is from Luke chapter 11, verse 39. Again, Jesus is speaking. Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Paul is saying it's not just the Pharisees, but all of us are like that. Um, evil, wickedness includes the idea of wanting to harm people, um, but you can speak of it in more general terms. And so when we think of wickedness, okay, obviously we hear all about the Ukraine and Russia war. Well, Putin is a wicked man, but Zelensky is rather wicked too. 
the Bidens with all their corruption and sexual abuse and drugs and lies. The January 6th, all that thing, the whole thing was a setup. Elections with the Russian collusion and so forth and the banana republic justice. The eugenics movement, seen most recently with COVID and the vaccine, but also the abortion industry. All these things are examples of wicked people and wicked things. But, you know, when I harm someone else to get my way by manipulating a spouse to do what I want, bullying your sibling because that's my toy that I want to play with, lying to your employer to get ahead or hiding sinful behavior, these are forms of wickedness too. Again, Paul is being broad. Any evil. And so therefore, very obviously applies to all of us. Unbelievers may be worse in some ways, but none of us can escape this filling, if you will. Now let me pause again and remind us of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we do these things because we've suppressed the truth about God. We have turned to idols. We have wanted man knowledge instead of the thoughts of God and so forth. And so these behaviors are a result, a consequence of that earlier sin. These sins also then will receive punishment too. All right, well, the next word here is covetousness. And uh, your translation may use the word greed. Uh, It's referring, obviously, to an insatiable desire or avarice is an older term used here in this way. Uh, again, uh, a passage here. This is Luke 12, verse 15. Jesus says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not exist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, we are told in our culture that it's only for profit businesses where we find greed. And if you're part of a nonprofit, you can't be greedy. Well, that's just ridiculous. The biggest nonprofit in our country is the government. And some of the greediest people who have ever lived are in the government. The Clintons, the Bidens, the Obamas, and the McConnells, and the John Boehners, and the Cheneys, both sides. They're just greedy people. But when we pursue our own interests at the expense of others, we too are being greedy, covetous. If you do not tithe 10%, you're being greedy. If you're not helping others in need, if you're not showing hospitality, you're being covetous and greedy. If you are trying to keep up with the Joneses, you are being greedy. If you desire anything that you do not have, all covetousness, as Paul says here, right? we're filled with this. Any number of examples can be given, and all of us do this in one way or another. Now, the last term that he has in this grouping is maliciousness, and your translation may use a different word here, uh, like malice or evil, even, uh, depravity. 
The difference, it seems, with the word evil and wickedness, the third word there, uh, or the second, depending on your translation, uh, and this one seems to be that this one is emphasizing a desire to hurt someone. Evil is very broad, and it can include that. Maliciousness, specifically, is ill will, hatred, showing spite, desiring bad things to happen to other people. And so let me read here now. This is from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Examples, <clears throat> cyberbullying, cancel culture, slander, gossip, backbiting, individuals, Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, the global elites, the eugenicists, the human traffickers. These are malicious people. Don't buy what the media is telling you. But all forms of evil where we want someone else to be harmed, that's what Paul is addressing here. All of us have desired bad things to happen to others. All of us have refused, um, or I should say it this way, all of us have rejoiced when bad things do happen to others. And so Paul is saying here again, these general sins characterize sinners, and we're all sinners. God gives us over to these sins because we'd rather have something he has made than God himself. Let me read also then, <clears throat> this is from Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. This would be a way of summarizing Paul's thought here. Genesis 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And our tendency is to read this and say, Well, yeah, those terrible people before the flood. But it applies to you and me, too. This is how we are. We have been filled with these things. Initially, because we are in Adam, but also our behaviors that we have consciously made. Okay? So it's not just those people, but us too. Obviously, this description is true of the unbeliever to varying degrees. Some are worse than others, and usually that is because of Christian influence. Those who have grown up in the church are oftentimes still moral, even if they've rejected Christ. Some of them are actually worse than, than others. Um, some cultures do seek virtue. Some cultures prize harming all who think differently, like the radical Muslims or the radical left and right in our culture. But even professing believers, we fall short in this way. None of us are perfect. All of us sin. Okay. So, again, let me add to Paul's point. He's, as it were, beating us down. <laughs> but let's remember that the more we are in the word of God and trying to renew our minds and think God's thoughts after him, the more we are praying to him 
and developing our relationship with him, the more we come to church and use the means of grace, the more we seek a godly fellowship, the less these evils define us. If we have been taken out of our union with Adam and placed in union with Christ, then Adam no longer represents us, but we're still corrupted. We are on the path to glory, but we're not there completely yet. And so the more we are in God's word, Romans 12, verse 1, the more we renew our minds, the more we will be pleasing to our God. And therefore, these hatred toward your neighbor kind of sins will diminish. It won't go away completely until heaven. There is hope in all of this. But that's not Paul's point here. He's wanting us to recognize how sinful we are. Well, the second grouping then that he gives begins very similarly, and it says, full of, and then five sins. Very much the same idea, right? Having been filled and now full of. All of us are filled with these sinful behaviors because we've all turned from God. Same point, right? Especially for the unbeliever, but even for us. Okay, same same points here. Hey, <clears throat> Paul may be making a distinction in this way. Having been seems to emphasize all the way back to Adam. And so our nature is filled with these general sins. This full of, note that this list is a bit more specific. It's still general in certain ways, but a bit more specific than the first grouping. And so maybe... Paul is emphasizing our nature, being united to Adam in the first group. This one emphasizing the daily choices that we make because we're sinners. I'm not sure we can say definitively. But here then are five ways we are full of sin and show hatred to our neighbor for rejecting God. And the first one he gives here is envy. Obviously, this is connecting to covetousness. But the difference between coveting and envy is that envy emphasizes the jealousy, if you will, the emotion, the hatred, and so forth that goes along with that. We get mad when somebody else is blessed. You can covet something and not necessarily be angry with somebody else. Envy definitely emphasizes that point. And so the co-worker that gets the raise or the promotion, when we are envious, when we are upset when that happens, this is what Paul is talking about. When our neighbor comes home with the latest toy or when an extended family member is blessed and we are not, when we get mad over this or sad, Paul is saying, look, you're full of these things. And so rather than rejoice with others over the good they have received, our heart sinks into jealousy and we no longer relate well with them. And of course, we've all done this, haven't we? Let me read here a moment. This is from Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. 
This is a description, of course, of us as sinners. Now, the next term that Paul gives us is murder. Paul is referring here to unlawful killing. We're not uh, talking about self-defense. We're not talking about a just war or capital punishment. Those killings do have a place. They can be justified. Paul is talking about murder, unjust killing. And can we say, you know, a huge percentage of the time when someone is killed, it's because it's unjust. Now, I like cop shows, and it's probably because I read Hardy Boys books so much when I was a kid. But I like to see justice served. And to have it packaged in about 42 minutes is kind of nice. Okay. I like to see the bad guys get caught. Currently, I've been watching the old show Cold Case. Some of you might remember. I think it ran from 2002 to 2009 or something. And it's all about old homicides that were not solved. And so they go back and they try to um, re-interview people and look at evidence afresh and such. And sometimes it's just a few years before, sometimes it's 50 years before. Um, But several times in the show, they'll say something to this effect. People will murder for any reason whatsoever. Sometimes the most insignificant reasons. Somebody will murder another. And as we look at our own culture, somebody is murdered every day somewhere in, in America. It's, it's terrible. But isn't this a result, an indication uh, that we as a country have rejected God? Let me read uh, two passages here. First of all, this is Mark 15 and uh, verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Obviously, that is wrong. But listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus' point is straightforward here, is it not? I'm sure there's no one in this room who's murdered someone. But we all have murdered people with our words. And so don't just limit the commands of God to external acts. It includes those, but it also includes our motivations, and here Jesus is emphasizing the words that we speak. You know, the first word, envy, the Greek word is thanos. There's a PH and a TH at the beginning. It's kind of hard to say and such. The word for murder is phanos. So thanos and phanos, Paul is deliberately putting these words together. Because how often does jealousy lead to murder? A huge number of times it does. All right, now the next word is strife. This has to do with fighting, arguing, quarreling, contention, discord, rivalry. Now you can use your fists. You can use your uh, guns. You can use words. 
You can use the silent treatment. A verse here, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, Paul says, For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Of course we are, is Paul's point. Arguments typically are a result of being envious and jealous. Now, let me add this point in here. For every one of these words, but I'll make mention of it here, uh, obviously we can see these sins on a personal level. We can have strife here specifically with another person. You can be quarreling with your sibling, <clears throat> which I heard in my house this morning. Okay? You can quarrel with your coworker. You can quarrel with your neighbor. Or with your classmate. But it can be broader than this too, obviously. Families can quarrel with other families. Okay? The group of cubicles over here at work can quarrel with the group of cubicles over here. There can be a group of people in the church that quarrel with another group of people. Or one block in the neighborhood can quarrel with the next block. Or the same at school and so forth. You know, whole societies can have strife, too. In our culture, people are wanting more and more strife. And so we can talk about the radical left and Antifa and BLM and all those sort of things. They're trying to encourage strife, letting criminals out, letting illegals in, and so forth. All this is in part to encourage strife in our culture, because when you have strife, you can change things. Chaos is very useful for the wicked person. But we also, of course, talk about the two sides of the aisle or how all white people are racist. How many churches had strife during the shutdown? Should we meet or not? Should we wear a mask or not? Should we have the vaccine or not? Sports teams have strife, and I don't mean the competition part. I'm talking about the fans that often get into it in the stands. Obviously, in a culture, you can have war. Civil war 150 years ago in our culture seems to be looming again. The next word is deceit. Deceit. <clears throat> this has to do with um, lying, obviously, guile, Treachery, fraud, cunning, trickery, being crafty. Let me read here. This is Mark 14 and verse 1. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might to take him, might take him by trickery and put him to death. Okay. I don't trust the elections anymore. There is assurance fraud. We received watered-down products, an unfaithful spouse, the media, Congress, the Department of Justice. What about the kidnapping of Governor Whitmer in Michigan? It turned out to be a fraud. I wonder the same thing about the war in Ukraine. Hey, it was... 
what was it, Stan, about 30 years ago or so, Scott Hahn was rather deceitful, was he not? Televangelists, want your money. But you know, anytime we lie, anytime we stretch the truth, anytime we unjustly withhold the truth, all these things are kinds of deception. We are hating our neighbor. And so Paul ends this list with the term evil-mindedness. So your translation may have a different word here, maybe maliciousness or malevolence or something like that. Um, The challenge with this word is it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. So we can't look at another passage. And so it makes it a little harder for us to know exactly what Paul has in mind. Um, But it does seem to emphasize that we are using our minds for evil things. We're wanting to harm others. Maybe you could say he's emphasizing a character trait here, not merely occasional behavior, but a way of life. But again, we're we're not totally sure how much to press his exact meaning here. But the point is still the same, is it not? When we use our minds for evil things, and so we may sugarcoat something to make it look good, but it's still sinful. If we are giving and helping to someone else because we want to feel good or look good, that is a selfish act. If we are doing something to advance our career at other people's expense, like putting our resume on the top or letting it slip about a rival's weakness, this is being evil-minded. If you are critical of others so that you feel good about yourself, You are being hateful. Preaching feel-good sermons at the expense of the text is an act of evil. Paul is very deliberate here. He uses the term fill or full. He uses the adjective all. Examples really are endless here. Once again, surely this is true of the unbeliever, and that does seem to be Paul's emphasis here in this section. And yet, we are all united to Adam, and we all do these sins. Maybe not as badly as the unbeliever, but all of these behaviors deserve God's judgment. But again, Paul's point is not that. His point is, all of these sins that we commit are an indication of God's wrath against us for turning away from him in the first place. And so if you see these sins in your life, or the life of your family, or the life of our church, or our culture, or our business, ultimately it's an indication that there's something wrong with your relationship with God. And so try to fix that. Again, this is a very hard truth. This is very hard to know exactly what to say in preaching and so forth. But Paul is wanting us to see we have no hope in ourselves. None whatsoever. Our only hope is if God, if we could go back to the confession that we read earlier, if God elects us unto saving relationship with him that is our only hope through jesus christ our only hope 
is to repent of these sins, to trust in God, to develop a relationship with him, to put aside our idols, to allow him to work in us and not resist him, okay? to be in his word daily. Okay? Here's where our hope lies. And so I end with a bit more of a positive idea. But here's some of Paul's thoughts. And so Lord willing, next week we will look at the next grouping and continue this theme here for a little bit further. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you for your mercy. <laughs> that you do not punish us as we deserve. You didn't do that with Adam. You didn't come with guns ablazing and just shoot him down, as it were. But you came and you asked questions. And yes, you judged, but you also saved, promising the Messiah that would come, clothing them in the skin of a substitute through the shedding of blood. <clears throat> and we are thankful, Lord, that you do the same with us. Um, but Lord, we also then ask that you would um, break down our resistance to these ideas. Every one of us here would much rather think that we are better than we really are. And so, Lord, help us to see us as you see us, as rotten and wretched, as worms and, and evil, evil people, unrighteous. Not just to beat us down, but that we might then turn to you as our only hope. And so, Lord, we... Um, Again, are thankful for your word, we are thankful for your truth, and um, we uh, just pray that you would continue to renew our minds even in this way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.